I was really fortunate. I, um, I took a job with the National Hockey League in New York City, and uh, I was running their uh, nascent um, NHL center ice business, which was uh, a television property that was only available on, at first, satellite television. Right. So you had to order a subscription package and you mm. got all the NHL games from around the league. And since then, since we started it 25 plus years ago, it's now grown into this, you know, just. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Sporting Global podcast. And today I'm actually in Lisbon, but I am, of course, here with Ken Gelman. And Ken, how are you? How's, uh, how's life these days? I'm great, Ole. Everything's good. You know, we're uh, we're coming out of this pandemic, so uh, things are getting back to a little bit of normalcy. You know, still uh, still been a crazy couple of years here, as I'm sure it has been where you are as well. Right. But uh, the sports industry is starting to get back to to business here in in North America. Uh, people are attending sporting events. Uh, the majority of the audience is vaccinated, which is great. Right. So uh, that's been big. And uh, I think as, as an industry, uh, these are the things for live events, especially that we've been waiting for. So yeah, we'll no see how, uh, yeah, we'll see how 2022 unfolds. But uh, as what we- What kind of year is as, it at this point? You know, like, are we even counting? <laughs> I know, right? It feels like one big blur. But um, I'm I'm really optimistic that uh, 22 is going to be our first kind of normal year we've had in a, in a couple of years. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, like it's 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 really what you were saying as well about like you know having people vaccinated, having people like I guess like you know in the stadiums as well. Like I mean, like Norway is practically open as normal now, so like it was really nice. Like Norway was playing like a big qualifier for the World Cup. Unfortunately, we didn't qualify at the end, but mm. you know maybe maybe next time. But it was yeah. you know really cool to see like you know twenty five thousand people like full stadium. A lot of people, a lot of engagement, and, and that's what you want to see, you know, like, we all remember the, I, I mean, like, obviously the first months, but it's been like this for like, you know, two years now, where you're like, literally had nobody in the stadiums, you know, more or less. And Except, so, except for cardboard, except for cardboard cutouts of fans, which I think we can do without now. <laughs> right, yeah, and no, I, I, I remember that was kind of like an interesting approach to keeping your fans there, you know, which, which right, I think right. But I, I yeah. guess it doesn't bring the, uh, the same sound or enthusiasm to the arena. But yeah, Ken, I just wanted to like, you know, I guess in a sense, just hear a little bit of your journey, you know, in the sport mm. industry and sort of like how it all began. Because obviously you've been experienced like with, with a lot of different kind of companies and, and sector as well in sports. And take us a little bit through like how it all started and, and where you are at now. <laughs> Absolutely. Be happy to. I, I've been really fortunate. I, I've been able to be in this industry for over 25 years and uh, every, every day is an adventure. Where it started for me was uh, back in at university. Uh, I, I attended Syracuse University here in, in the U.S. And um, back then, about 30 years ago, there were no sports programs, but uh, I was in the communication school there. Uh, new, the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse, right? And they they really spoke about um, production. They spoke to us about writing. They spoke with us about management within sort of the the larger media world. Right. And as we know, over the years, sports and media have really become synonymous. I mean, yeah. you really can't have one without the other. Uh, so. I was really steeped in more of a media background. I was always a sports nut from when I was a kid, a mm -hmm. big sports fan. And I thought at one point, maybe I'd be a broadcaster or I'd be, you know, calling games on television or presenting them or something. Yeah. But when I went to school, I learned that I really enjoyed the business side of things more so nice. than being in, in front of the camera. Uh, right. Behind the camera for me was was more exciting. There was there yeah. was more to learn. There was more to to, to do and grow with. So I really started my career in sports uh, on the advertising agency side. I worked for a couple of agencies in New York City 
that had sports clients. And uh, that exposed me to sort of the, the inner workings of marketing and um, how they promoted their businesses. And mm-hmm. I realized that it really was a business. Uh, right. You know, when I was, when I was in school, I just, I was a fan. I, mm-hmm. I loved, I loved watching sports. I loved attending live events at stadiums and arenas, but I didn't really understand, um, you know, what, what went into it, what to right. produce it. So I got a little taste of that. And then in 1997, I was really fortunate. I, um, I took a job with the National Hockey League in New York City, and uh, I was running their uh, nascent um, NHL Center Ice business, which was uh, a television property that was only available on, at first, satellite television. Right. So you had to order a subscription package, and you mm. got all the NHL games from around the league. And since then, since we started it 25 plus years ago, it's now grown into this, you know, just media property par excellence. NHL network, right? (laughs) We started the NHL network when I was there. I I had a big hand in uh, creating the network on the business side. Um, The uh, NHL.com was really just in its infancy. So we were trying out different digital products at the time, which now, of course, is is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, right? Uh, So, so I really, uh, my, my role was to run this little business within the NHL. And I, I kind of say little, because when I started, it was little, right. And now it's, now it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, of a media property basically right. is, is what I started. So with, with, with others. Yeah. So it was really exciting to see that evolution. And I was at the NHL for seven years, uh, through 2004 and it was, they were some of the best years of my career. I, 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 I like to tell people that that was my graduate school was, <laughs> was working at the NHL. Uh, I got it's a real, not a bad graduate school, you know? <laughs> no, no. When you can work for a professional league like that, uh, it really, it teaches you so much about the industry and uh, it connects you with so many people from all walks of life. And yeah. uh, that was the exciting thing. And, and I've always been a very creative person where I don't like to just have uh, one narrow kind of task to do. I, mm. I, I like to get involved in different areas of the business and yeah. roll up my sleeves and learn. And the great thing about the NHL is that they allow that. They, you know, you work with different departments, you work with broadcasting, you work with marketing, you work with sponsorship. Um, my position, I was, I was really fortunate because I got to see the, the NHL.com uh, birth basically the, the mm. you know when the internet was so young and it was what 1.0 basically right. so i was i was involved with a lot of the a lot of that um yeah. new products you know a lot of media a lot of marketing a lot of a lot of um a lot of new experiments at that point um just one quick story is we one of our broadcasters uh in canada uh, CBC, which was the state-run uh, network, yeah. they carried the NHL games for a number of years, and um, we started creating these uh, these products where uh, their their marquee program, Hockey Night in Canada, which was a it's an institution on Saturday nights. Right. Instead of just broadcasting the game, we were able to give them different camera angles, different channels to choose from. They wanted to follow one star player the whole time. They could, Mm -hmm. they could watch that. We had a statistics channel. So this was, you know, 20 years ago before there was a lot of, a lot of this going on, you know, this was sort of the second screen idea. We actually had this like second screen idea before social media came along and Twitter and Facebook. So it was neat being a part of that, you know, it was really rare. So that was kind of, that was the beginning of my sports journey. And I'll go quickly now. Since then, uh, I worked uh, with uh, WWE for a couple of years. Uh, So another big property. And then I went out, I went out on my own for about about, uh, uh, 10 years uh, with my own agents. So what I did was I I had this entrepreneurial spirit, uh, knowing the background that I had with working at the league, also yeah. working within advertising. 
I understood sort of the, the, the needs of the sports industry and the properties, and those were my clients. So I worked with the NFL uh, on, the, on my own business. Uh, they were my client, the NFL. And within the NFL, five or six different divisions. I worked with uh, the Big East Basketball Conference, which is college basketball. Right. I work with a number of combat uh, sports properties, a lot of MMA, some jujitsu, some kickboxing, uh, regular boxing, professional wrestling. So I sort of carved out this niche as uh, kind of the fight sports guy on the agency <laughs> side, which was which was kind of kind right. of different, you know. And, and that's one lesson for the audience. Um, you just don't know where the journey will take you. Right. But, you know, when you're when you're within the sports world, it's nice because uh, it is such a small knit industry that it's really one degree of separation. So you find yourself meeting people that you never thought you'd meet. And then they're doing things that you really had no idea about. But it turns out that there, there's commonality because of all the things that you've learned along the way. So. Yeah. So, so I found myself doing that for a number of years, and that was really rewarding, running my own business. For sure. And then about five years ago, uh, because of all the fight sports work I had done, I was approached by the Gracie family, who obviously is, is very famous uh, worldwide. But yeah. as you know, they're the first family of jiu-jitsu and uh, rich history going back 100 years in Brazil. Right. Um, the, fa the family, along with uh, another gentleman in New York, um, the three of us started a, uh, a grappling, a professional grappling circuit called Kasai. And Kasai was a, a, a live events company that yeah. put on jujitsu jiu matches. And right. it had never been done at this scale. So we were basically, we created a, a, a sports property from, from scratch. And that, that meant, you know, social media, that meant uh, live events, that meant, you know, basically producing a league. Right. So having the ability to build something from the ground up was very exciting. And I, I was the, the chief operating officer. So I ran the business end. Uh, Hollis Gracie uh, ran the fight side of things and we have another gentleman rich burn out of new york who basically uh helped us with financing and also was was managing the business day to day as well he right. was our ceo so did that for about four years and loved it and then the pandemic hit <laughs> and so you know once once that happened there were no more live events right we couldn't we couldn't book 2000 seat arenas anymore because nobody was going to live events during this time uh so that gave me a lot of time to think about what i wanted to do next and, and that brings us to what i'm doing now with the carnegie initiative that's that's awesome i mean like i, I have to just touch upon like two things though because one of them is is obviously you know the your experience with the wwe which i think it's like you know in a sense, just entertainment, right? Yes. <laughs> and I'm, like, yes. I'm, I'm not, you know, of course, like, you know, it's it, it, it's all fighting, but I guess like in a different level from the whole jujitsu and the MMA. But but I guess like just being in that, uh, you know, WWE bubble, which I mean, like, attracted yes. a lot of fans. What, like, what kind of, I guess, like, key takeaway did you, did you, I guess, like, see from being part of that? It was an amazing experience. I was there for about two years yeah. and uh, I learned more in those two years uh, about how to market a sports property than I think I did my entire career. Yeah. And the, re the reason for that, there, there are a couple of reasons. One is uh, Vince McMahon, who, uh, who runs the company, who most in the industry know who Vince yeah. is, but uh, he is kind of a marketing uh, mad genius of sorts right. and to, to sit by his side and watch the way he would push this product. I mean, you're, you're talking about a sports property that does live television 51 weeks out of the year. They take mm -hmm. Christmas week off. Right. So they're putting on three, two and three shows a week, depending if there's a pay-per-view or not. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're basically producing live television all year round, 24 seven, it never stops. It's, it's unbelievable. So I came from a background with the NHL where there's a season 
and right. leading up to this leading up to the season you do a lot of work and you push hard on the properties and the marketing and then during the season you manage things mm-hmm. and then in between the seasons you're you know you're, you're working constantly but it's not it's it's different levels right there's right. there's spikes with yeah. wwe it's as 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 the kids like to say it's uh all gas, no brakes. Right. You know what I mean? It's like right. just constant. So to be able to survive for two years just doing that uh, <laughs> take, took a lot of discipline and a lot of learning. And uh, I learned so much in, in that short amount of time. So that was my WWE experience. Oh, I know. Like it's, it's, I think it's, it, it's a lot of lessons to learn from it, even during the pandemic, right? Like how they even like maintain a lot of their audience. Just like I, I saw like, you know, all the screens, they essentially made like a stadium of screens, you know, which was very fascinating. It's like, all Big right, time. well, that's a great way to do it, you know? There's, they're so innovative. And yeah. I mean, you know, you, you think you think about them too. They, uh, they have this just rabid fan base, right? And right. they're not afraid to take risks. For example, they started that WWE network, which was initially about seven, eight years ago, and yep. uh, and over the top, cha- you know, channel direct consumer. So for the audience, they have this. They had this lucrative pay per view business where they would work with cable and satellite distributors uh, all around the world, and they still do this, of course. Mm-hmm. But that was their main source of revenue. Is making sure that the cable operators and the satellite providers showed their pay-per-views and people would pay their money and they'd split it up between the operator and, right. and themselves. Yeah. They decided to go direct to consumer seven, eight years ago before anybody. And now everybody's doing it. Right. You know, you look at NBC with Peacock, you look at Viacom with Paramount Plus, you look at right. ESPN Plus. They did this WWE network five years ahead of everybody risked their biggest uh revenue source to do it and came out on top i mean right. that that tells you everything you need to know about vince and wwe and just the kind of innovative company that they are and, and i think that like that that's why like i, I don't want to make this like a full you know WWE podcast but it's just like you know my point of like people don't know this side of it you know like people no. just see you know no. like oh it's just like you know it's fan driven like it's it, you know of course like extremely professional and they do like you know massive live events and demands a lot of you know content and planning right which right. is fascinating in itself but it's just like if you start digging and you're like looking at you know how they've been operating like how innovative and then you've been sitting right at the table and that's why like we had to like just get that out you know for for yeah. those that are like just because i think also people don't think that you know, like that WWE would be an option, you know, either to work in, you know, in a sense. Right. Of course. But I mean, like, right. how can they not be, you know? And yeah. It, I, I, I kind of had the same reservation, to be honest, because right. I was coming from a professional sports league in, in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, and I, I always I always joke with people that I went from real fighting with hockey to <laughs> scripted fighting with wrestling. But right. um, but to, to your point, I mean, they are a sports and entertainment behemoth they are just a massive property uh and now you see they're getting mainstream media coverage their social media they, i think they're if you add up all the the talent uh yeah. and they're they're following i mean it's second to none i mean there right. there's hundreds of millions of followers yeah so um they they really they have a formula that has worked for them for mm-hmm. a long time but they've evolved and they've, I think the key is that they've really, they've taken some risks, some calculated risks. Yeah, uh, that side, it's like a perfect moment to like move over to the, you know, Carnegie, Carnegie initiative, you know, and obviously you're yeah. the CEO there. And, and I guess like just talking a little about, you know, what is the Carnegie initiative all about? And I guess like, what is the key, key purpose? Behind? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, hockey has been in my blood uh, for my whole life. I, I played it as a kid, uh, ice hockey, uh, for those out there. I, I played it as a kid. I was a big fan. I was fortunate I got to work at the NHL for seven years, as I mentioned. And uh, it's a sport I care very much about. And one of the things that has bothered me, and when I was at the, when I was at the league, I should back up for a second. 
Sure. When I was at the league, I met a gentleman named Bryant McBride, uh, who, who is an amazing guy. He uh, was the first African-American executive hired by the league. He ran the initial diversity efforts at the league, uh, hired a gentleman by the name of William Reed, who was the first black player in NHL history to come right. back and be an ambassador for the game. And I, I was there when, when um, that, that started. And I was involved with some of the early uh, planning for the diversity initiatives the league has had and so forth. Well, like many businesses, they, uh, I think the, the sport, uh, I won't even say business, but I think the sport of hockey, not just the NHL, um, has been slow to adapt to the, uh, the, the changing world. And one of the things about hockey, which is very challenging, is it's an expensive sport to play. Right. Right. A lot if of you think about it, a lot of equipment, you've got to have ice time, you've got to find a rink. I mean, unlike something like basketball, where you really just need a ball and a hoop somewhere, you can play it in your driveway, right? So hockey is it's challenging, and one of the one of the side effects of that expense is that sometimes it shuts out certain socioeconomic groups because it's so expensive. And so in North America, anyway, it has been sort of a very traditionally wealthy and frankly white sport for a number mm -hmm. of years. When I was at the league, there were, you know, maybe 10 players of color in the league. Now there's 30 or 40. And right. so our idea is, um, can we accelerate that growth over the next 10 years mm -hmm. and see, see more, more inclusiveness, more diversity within the sport? And that starts at the grassroots level and that goes all the way up to the NHL. So the Carnegie Initiative was started uh, by Bryant McBride, who I mentioned, mm -hmm. and a woman named Bernice Carnegie. Bernice, her father, Herb Carnegie, was a black player from Canada in the 1940s and 1950s. Wow. He was one of the five best players in the world. Nice. And he couldn't break into the NHL at that time right. because it was segregated. It was a white sport only. Yeah. And he he basically was told by uh, a league executive that I would pay anybody $10,000 to paint you white. And that hurt him till the day he died. He was so upset about that because basically they're telling him you're good enough to be here. But because of the color of your skin, we can't hire you. So this was in the mid 1950s. And instead of just you know, living with that and just putting his skates away, yeah. he decided to do, he decided to do something about it. He formed the first hockey school uh, for minority children in Toronto in 1956, I believe. Amazing. Uh, and, and so from that point on until his passing in the mid 2000s, um, he had this school in the Toronto area and it produced NHL players. Anson Carter, who, who is black, is playing in the league. There are a number of players that came through his future ACES program. That was the name of his program right. uh, throughout the decades. So he, he decided he was going to do the work. Mm -hmm. That was his mission, to do the work. I'm going to do something about, I don't want to see what happened to me happen yeah. to anybody else. 100%. You know, That was his motivation. But the future ACES aces was a lot more than that it was it was about educating children it was about assimilating marginalized groups it was about making hockey a welcoming space and so fast forward to um 2018 and, and willie o'ree the gentleman i mentioned who was the first black player was inducted into the hockey hall of fame mm -hmm. and largely that happened because of the work that bryant did with him he, he had a very brief nhl career he only played 20 games or so but then he played another two decades in the minor leagues yeah but his he was in the hall of fame and is in the hall of fame because of his social justice work and his community work and the work that he did with uh diversity and growing the game 
And so our idea with the Carnegie Initiative was to name it after Herb Carnegie. Right. Uh, Bryant and Bernice are the co-chairs. We have a board of directors from people involved at the NHL level all the way down to the community and grassroots level. We have hockey moms on our board that you've never heard of. Um, but when, when I talk about making the game more diverse, the sport more diverse, I'm obviously talking about people of color, but I'm also talking about any marginalized group you can think of, right. LGBTQ+, plus, uh, indigenous people, um, para-abled, so you know, the disabled, there's yeah. sled hockey. Um, also women. I mean, there, there needs to be more women within the sport. The sport is growing on, on the female side, yeah. um, but you know, there are not enough women in management at, at the NHL level, at the minor level, league levels. So um, a big part of our initiative is growing awareness of work that's being done to, to further this. And so we're doing three things. One is that we are raising money for grants. We're working with different universities in North America, from Harvard <clears throat> to um, University of Michigan to several Canadian universities. We're going to issue grants to these universities for them to study some of the issues plaguing the sport. We want the data. Yeah. Nobody has, has ever done any kind of real in-depth, detailed research on you know, has anybody talked to 800 families of color about their experience in the rink? No, nobody's ever done that. We want to do that. We want yeah. data. We want, we want people to talk, talk to us. So yeah. we're going to be raising money for these grants. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to do storytelling. We're going to produce a lot of content and it's going to be positive and uplifting. It's going to showcase uh, a lot of the stories and people that you've never heard of but they've used the sport of hockey uh, to assimilate and to overcome great obstacles. Mm -hmm. If you look at Willie, Willie O'Ree's story, and there's a film called Willie, this documentary that Bryant produced right. uh, that's, been, that's, that's been out there about Willie's life. Nice. Uh, he overcame so many things. And um, there are so many lessons from this. And so what we want to do is we want to showcase other people's stories. There's a family from Syria that left war-torn Syria and emigrated to Canada three or four years ago, didn't know the language, didn't, couldn't speak English. Somebody got them out on, uh, and put a pair of skates on the kids. And because of hockey, they've now assimilated into the society up in Canada, and they've used that. Um, there are indigenous people in Canada that uh, they have a, a tournament every year that nobody knows about called the Little NHL. Nice. Uh, it's, it's, so we're gonna tell that story. We're going to tell the story of Angela James, who is the you know, first, first female uh, elected into the Hall, Hockey Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. People don't know that story. You know, so we're gonna tell all these stories, um, the LGBTQ experience we have on our board, an openly gay referee who loves the sport but hates the locker room. So we're gonna talk about that. We wanna really shine a light on these stories. And then the third thing we're doing, which is very exciting, and uh, it's coming up in January nice. of 22, is something called the Carnegie Initiative Summit, the CI Summit. What we're doing there is we're inviting 250 thought leaders from the sport of hockey, from the media world, world within the sport frankly just you know moms and connected families to talk to what's going on in the sport um showcasing the dreams as well so everybody can watch it that can't attend but we're bringing 250 people to boston to talk about what's going on in the sport right. how do we change the culture of the sport how do we make it more diverse and equitable and, and grow. Because at the end of the day, um, the sport will die unless it gets more diverse. And that's true of any sport, of course, right? Because yeah. the world is becoming more diverse and it's becoming uh, you know, less, 
homogenous as, as right. we say. So, right. so anyway, so, so the mission is, is threefold. It's, it's really uh, to, to do these things, to, to award grants, to, to produce content, to talk about these issues and do it in a way that's transparent and accountable and has real data behind it. Yeah, that's gonna be extremely key as well. And I think like just the mixture of just, um, you know, not only sharing these these stories in a sense, which obviously, you know, is, is data in itself. It's sort of like backing all these initiatives with, with, with new research and showcasing like, okay, what is actually, you know, it's not just, you know, words coming up or like, you know, just, just stuff we, we, I wouldn't say made up, but it's kind of like, you know, just in, a, in an essence where, you know, you just back everything that you say and you're showcasing, okay, like, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, hallway talk, locker room talk, all this stuff, right? right. Here's, here's the actual facts. And this is why we do what we do. And this is extremely important, you know, to like help create that credibility and, and for those, you know, doubters and and naysayers out there to kind of like realize well it's actually been you know something that has to be done and been you know working a lot of things to achieve the results that is seen today but it still need a lot more you know to make the progress that that needs to be done in the industry 100 percent. and also i i think uh just from a standpoint of credibility uh and and really exposure okay um there are racial incidents that are going on on the ice every day right that nobody knows about you know and yeah. you would think this this happened in you know i just talked about herb's story about 1955 and yeah you know somebody telling him i'd pay anybody to paint you white you know the name calling and the the actions it's still happening right um, you know you you saw what happened in the ukraine uh a, a few weeks ago with that yeah. big incident which was you know abhorrent uh, these are these are happening all over the world. These issues, these incidents, and right. you know, part of it is the climate of the the of society. Part of it is you know, social media has kind of made people, unfortunately, more um, brazen when it comes to you know some of this hate speech and things of that nature. Yeah, and all it all it does is is it ruins. A, a pure experience for, you know, for children that want to play this sport and want to feel welcome. Right. And, you know, the worst thing we can do is ignore that in my mind, the status yes. quo is the enemy is what we like yeah. to say. So we really, you know, and, and the, the last point I want to make on this too, is that uh, we're speaking with a lot of different companies and listen, and as, as you know, uh, a year and a half ago when George Floyd was murdered here, here in the United States, it, it really was a, a tipping point for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And corporations in particular pledged a lot of money to doing better in the areas of diversity, uh, equality, you know, equity and inclusion. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a way for us to be able to say to them, okay, we have we're actually doing the work here we're not putting a black square on our instagram feed for 24 hours just right. so we can check a box yeah. and we can say that we care you know right. this is this is really yeah. doing the work right and so you know the efforts with the carnegie initiative is about doing the work it's about sharing it with like-minded people who are also doing the work because there are a lot of people doing the work in silos. Right. So the summit will bring everybody together. The storytelling will bring people together. Yeah. The data that we're going to do through these grants, we're going to publish, you know, quarterly papers. We're going to hopefully do some podcasts on a regular basis and talk about these issues because right. we want we want to be transparent. We want to be yeah. accountable. We want to show people that these things matter and our actions matter, and that's the only way we're going to change the culture of the sport. Right. No, hundred percent. And I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing all this great content inside the Sporting Global platform, you know, so all the yes. young future leaders of the industry, you know, can take this into themselves as well and, and understanding, okay, this is a, something that is, you know, happening that we can, you know, get involved in and, and also learning. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, I think that's one of like the key aspects of, 
of just just creating that awareness and, and understanding for the new generation to 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 understand okay what is happening and for those that are you know more like as our audience you know a lot of young you know students sport professionals are trying to find their career of like realizing where is the industry moving what kind of you know areas can i you know get involved in and what is important for for me you know as as yeah. to find their path and we're going to talk a little bit about it uh, of course that at the end as well but i wanted wanted to go like just uh i guess in a sense um you know just have you like a little bit mapping out quite briefly like a little bit on your i guess like key priorities and tasks that you're working that you're having as the cco right now just just so people get sure. like you know uh, what is it actually exactly <laughs> the title, you know <laughs> yeah well, you know that's the fortunate thing when you uh, when you start a, a an initiative like this, you get to pick up your own title. So that's good. <laughs> I decided I wanted to be chief, chief commercial officer and then figure out what that means right, after I do myself. <laughs> so no, but but uh, no. In, in reality, um, uh, this this was very exciting. Uh, I was, you know, as I mentioned, Bryant and Bernice. Uh, this was their idea. Yeah. Um, they brought in myself and a woman named Stephanie Gaosis, who is the executive director. Right. Uh, and I'm the, I'm the chief commercial officer. So really day to day, the four of us are really uh, working on this. And we've got some, some, some young folks, some interns, some paid interns, uh, as well as some, some coordinators as well. Yeah. Um, but fr from my standpoint as chief commercial officer, my, my number one priority is fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, we are a not-for-profit. That's the other thing I should mention. Is this is not this this initiative is not a is not for profit. It's it's not for profit. So that means that we're going to be putting all the proceeds into this initiative. So my big part of my job is fundraising, um, and that has come from a number of sources. Corporations. We've uh, been very fortunate that we've. Uh, been working with a number of, of big folks. We're going to. I'm going to. I'm going to um, not announce who we're working with just yet because we're going to have a big announcement in a couple of weeks right. with a number of, of a number of uh, sponsors and donors. Uh, but just to give you a sense, big big Fortune 500 companies, also small emerging groups that really want to make a difference in the community. Right. Um, we're also working with a lot of the governing bodies of the sport, including mm -hmm. the NHL. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're not partners with the NHL. We we're very clear that we're arm's length because we have to, we have to be honest about what's happening within the sport. Sure. The NHL understands, they understand that right. they support us and they're interested in supporting some of the grant money possibly. Yeah. So we're yeah. talking to them about that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're looking at working with a lot of the governing bodies. We're also working with just individuals. We have a lot of what we call friends of the CI mm. that are just connected hockey families that want to donate. Right. Uh, and they, they, they believe in the mission of what we're doing and, and they want the, the sport to change for the better. They want to change the culture. Yeah. So um, anyway, wrapping that up, fundraising is a big part of it. Also on the, um, uh, on the things I mentioned, uh, we're, we're in the process of, of working on a media deal right now with uh, two or three different partners in North America yes. to help us produce and distribute and promote the content that I mentioned to you mm -hmm. uh, earlier. So um, 2022, we plan on starting that. We're going to have some announcements. We have a tentative deal in place with one partner already, which I won't mention, but it's a significant media partner here in North America. And it's going to allow us greater reach to be able to, to get this content out and uh, make people aware. So working on that as well. Uh, and then just day to day working with the people uh, on our board and right. uh, anybody really that wants to help in some way. Um, you know, currently, of course, it's, uh, it's right now my focus is producing the summit, which is less than two, two months away. So I imagine, working, yeah, <laughs> very hectic, but, but good. But I mean, it's, yeah. it's gonna be great. And the, the thing about the summit is it's kind of our coming out party. Um, we announced the initiative in June, which we're, we, we kind of called like a soft launch. We put a press release out. We've been right. having conversation. That was basically enough for us to be credible to talk to um, to talk to companies about what we're doing. Yeah, January is going to be our real coming out party. 
people are going to see it. Uh, the the conference, the summit will be live streamed, so anybody can can watch it. Uh, there's going to be a lot of media and press coverage there, so we're also going to be uh, uh, I think really getting a lot of exposure coming out of this conference. So currently, that's a big part of what I'm doing. That's I mean like it's. Uh... It's kind of like the thing when you're working on a new project, you will always have, you know, multiple hats, you know, and a lot of the yeah. Oh, yeah. that you have have to do. But it's uh, it's good to sort of like, you know, map everything out a little bit, you know, so people are like, oh, maybe that's an option or an opportunity I want to do like down the road. And, it, and I'm just just thinking as well, because, you know, time is time is flying fast when we're having a great conversation. And I just wanted to like touch a little bit upon, you know, one a little bit of like, I guess, how this initiative is essentially changing, I guess, in a sense, trends, the trend itself in, in the hockey industry. And, and obviously, you know, one of the, you know, main factor, you know, of, of the Carnegie initiative is to change the culture of hockey, right? Which so sort of like, you know, the, yes. the, the stuff that you were talking about. But if you're looking for, you know, to provide some tips for any students out there that are, you know, actively trying to find an organization that fits you know their beliefs and and sort of like where they can provide value like what, what kind of tips would you give them and i guess like uh you know as well maybe in this trend of you know hockey changing like where should should people start if they're sort of like passionate about you know hockey as well yeah well i i think uh as you know like sports sports is all about passion right i think uh if 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 your main objective is is uh, you know making a lot of money and living comfortably, um, there are probably other industries that might <laughs> might fit that requirement more than sports. Right. So you have to have a passion for it. Uh, yeah. And as a young as a young person, uh, I did, and and it was something that I really uh, focused on my college summers, interning, uh, doing a lot of internships, uh, making sure that. I was building my own personal network. Um, I mentor a lot of students. And one of the things that I always tell them is, uh, if you really want to be a part of an organization, before you walk in the door, you better know a lot about that organization. Do your homework. Right. You know, not Don't just be a fan. Anybody can be a fan, but understand the business side of it as best you can. Obviously, you, you've never worked in an organization if you're a student. Right. Uh, or at least mo most have not. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, if you're passionate about hockey and you're passionate about working for a team or a league or an organization that is within the sport, learn what they do. Learn not just the, the hockey side of it, learn the business, learn the marketing side, understand what they're trying to do with social media, fan engagement. As you know, building, building a fan base never stops. Right. Fan engagement is so important. There are new fans every day that they're trying to attract. And you have a unique perspective as a young person. You understand, uh, you're still young enough that you understand what appeals to you will appeal to new fans as well, because right. you're of that demographic. So bring that to any conversation with these folks mm -hmm. and just work hard. You know, I, I, I like to always say that um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm -hmm. And that's really true. Yeah. You know, be the person that gets noticed because the one thing about sports is that you will be working long hours. If you work for a team, you're going to be happy. You're going to be at every game. You're going to be working at nights. You're going to be working, you know, at all hours, um, the weekends quite a bit. So you have to have that mindset. You also have to know that uh, you're starting at the bottom and you have to work hard to, to, to move up. And, um, but the, the one thing that I want to emphasize too is that sports is small enough still that once you get in the door and you build your network, yeah. that's a network you have for life. I still call on people that I met 25 years ago. Uh, and I'm fortunate that they take my calls because I, I guess I did, I guess I did something right. Right. But the point is that it's an industry where relationships really matter. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, being, being uh, an intern, being a young coordinator or a young uh, marketing associate, um, absorb everything. Listen more than speak. Go there, uh, you know, get a re- immerse yourself in the sport, in the company, in the organization, learn. Right. Treat that like graduate school, like I did when I worked at the NHL. Yeah. That's, that's your graduate school. Right. No, but it's, uh, it's uh, you know, extremely important point I think you're bringing up because, you know, a lot of people have, you know, an expectation for, oh, I'm like, I'm working for like, even if you're, you know, like, oh, I'm going to work for like, you know, um, say like San Jose Sharks, you know, or like some sort right. of you know, top NHL team, right? And you're just thinking like, oh, if I don't get a job uh, for the NHL team, like, like I'm not going to make it, you know, like you can work right. for minor league teams, like they're grassroots hockey. There's so many initiatives as well where you can do and provide that value. But at the, at the same time, like that network is, is sort of like still so close that if you provide yes. value and you put down the work, people will notice. And, and absolutely, I, I tried to tell that a lot too. Like, you know, just when I was in the U S obviously, you know, you, you know, I'm from Norway and then coming to a new country. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, it's just not easy to do starting, starting from scratch, but I knew like right. I had to, I had to start from scratch, you know, I had to, you know, so the first thing I did was volunteering and then I did yeah. for free internships and I did pay right. and then I built my way up and I knew like, well, I know what I'm talking about. I'm going on one of the best programs. I know I'll learn. And now I just need to understand how this industry works in the U.S. compared to what I'm used to in Norway, right? So once you have yes. that and you provide the value, it will pay off. But oh, you yes. need to put down that work. And I think a lot of young people now is they kind of, you know, and, and I'm still, I guess, in a sense, fairly young, <laughs> you know, but in, in essence. But but it's sort of like a thing where you kind of like expect um, that you're going to get like a job at Real Madrid or like San Jose Shores, right, or whatever, right, like right. You know, top organization right off, right off school, you know, like you're going to make decisions and that's, right. that's and, not entirely true. <laughs> and if you're, and if your goal is to work for Real Madrid, okay, what, have a plan, right. you know, you're not going, you, you, okay, you're coming out of school, you, you're not going to, most likely you're not going to start at Real Madrid, yeah. but if you really love uh football and you want to be at the you know the biggest football club in the world then do what you can to work at the grassroots level understand media Mm -hmm. understand their business bring something maybe it's maybe it's sponsorship maybe it's you know the ability to um grow a fan base through a unique program you start um, you know, you can volunteer uh, with, with school programs mm-hmm. and use that as experience uh, for your next job and your next job and your next job. And as you go, all of a sudden you're innovating mm-hmm. and being somebody that has a unique experience. Like I like to tell people I have a very unique ex- story. Right. Everybody should have a unique story, right? My yeah. story is I'm one of the few people that can say that they've worked uh, for, for a league for a team, for a sports property, for an agency, somebody that's run their own business within the world of sports. So I feel like I have a unique background, a unique story to to tell to any organization I work with and for. So I think that's the lesson too, is that you have to develop your own story. You're Mm -hmm. not going to start at the top. You're going to start at the bottom, but develop your own story with a goal in mind of that's where I want to be. I want to be at Real Madrid. No, and I mean, like, that's that's 100% as well, because there's nothing wrong having those goals, but just understanding, you know, the journey and the steps that it has to take and make that game plan to achieve it, you know, whether that's, yes, you know, going to school, whether that's, you know, getting experience or where that journey falls along in that process is, is part of the part of the part of the journey. Being being the first one in every day, being the last one to go home, not, you know, calling in sick, you know, just making sure that you're there, you're mm-hmm. present. Because half the time when you start to work at these sports organizations, it is all hands on deck. It is, you know what, somebody's out today. We need somebody to work the scoreboard or we need somebody to, to pass out the press notes in the press box for, for the media up. people, right? And then all of a sudden you find yourself, you're in a position where, oh, well, I didn't expect to be here, but you are present. Being present is so important. Right. You're going to find yourself in these great 
great advantage, you know, advantageous uh, spots within yeah. within the sports world before you know it. So, and and, and it's, it's a really good point too because these things comes up all the time. Like whatever sports or events or whatever you're working for, like there will be a situation where it's like, oh, we need help with this, or like something right. just came out, we need to fix this. And then if you are, you know, going out there and like bringing that passion and and going for it, and maybe you don't know how to do it yet. That's right. Make like talk. Always to raise your hand. Yeah. Always raise your hand. And say I'm I'm available. Right. You know, put me in, coach. I I can do it. You know, <laughs> and even if you even if you have to fake it till you make it, you do it. You know, you you just well, put you, yourself you in that learn, position. You know, you learn. You, that's how you learn. learn. Talk with people, and you will have. It's not like they're gonna leave you alone and say like, "Hey, figure it out." They're, you will have right. people around you to to guide you, and 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 then you'll you know you you learn so much by doing it. The biggest thing for me is, you know, as a, as a young student coming out of school is obviously experience is, is key, right? And students, students say to you all the time, I'm sure, how do I get experience? Right. Sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to create your own experience. Right. You know, quite honestly, you have to do something. Organize it right. you know, like, okay, you want to, you want to work at Real Madrid and you, you're coming out of school and you don't have any prospects to work for even a minor, you know, football club. Yeah. Well, organize your own tournament and do something. And then even if, even if it's at the grassroots level, that's a form of experience that you can say to the, now, now when you're applying for that next level uh, football club that didn't really uh, want you a year ago, you can say to them, Hey, look what I've been doing. I've been doing this at the grassroots level. I've been volunteering my time here. I've been developing my own fan base for this or my right. own social media following for that. Right. I mean, that is experience. So mm -hmm. sometimes you can take it into your own hands and, and get it done. Absolutely. Well, with that, Ken, I know like it's a perfect way to wrap up. Uh, it was a lot of fun just, you know, digging into your mind and journey. And I mean, like, <laughs> we, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So we, we might have to do a, like, you know, uh, a follow-up episode at some point, you know, when, uh, It'd be great. after, after the summit or, or something like that, you know, just kind of like, you know, see, see, see how that went and, you know, all, all exciting things for the new year, of course, for, for, for you, Ken, and uh, everything that is going on. But I would like to thank you so much, you know, for taking the time for, for joining us and for, uh, sharing your story. And then, uh, as as always as well i i i think most people are starting to be aware now that we have like this tradition that we're doing on every podcast so with every video we do we always finish with these knockers which means see you later in norwegian so that's what you gotta say <laughs> <laughs> wow uh repeat that for me one more time the knockers the smuckiest. <laughs> I hope I was close. <laughs> Nuckiest. There you go. The snuckest. The snuckest. Perfect. You know, easy. Easy. Everyone can speak Norwegian. <laughs> All right. Well, when I come to Oslo, you'll have to uh, remind me of that. But um, hey, this was a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, be happy to come back uh, anytime. Absolutely. Thank you, Ken. We'll talk soon. All right. <laughs> All right. Be well.